Hello everybody and welcome to Mates, everyday conversations between mates aimed at breaking down the stigma around mental health. My name is Alex, for this episode I'm joined by my good mate James. This episode is intended to be released as a pilot to begin a conversation between mates, spark a thought or encourage somebody to reach out to a mate. We recorded this back in November and I fully acknowledge that the chat is raw, sometimes without direction and repetitive, just as a chat with a mate can be. I'm looking forward to having you along for the ride. However, it is important to note that this conversation covers some sensitive topics. If listening today brings up anything for you, please make use of the resource in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, James. Thanks for being on the show. You're uh, you're the guinea pig. You're uh, recording numero uno. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for coming along, mate. Um, trying something new here. Trying something new. Trying to, uh, I guess, open the door for more of these conversations to take place. We've been mates for, you know, two or three years, and it's only been sort of recently that we've started to talk about this stuff. We've started to talk about like life in London. Uh, we've spoken a bit about how. The, the lockdowns and the COVID's affected us, but it's, and obviously we've, we've gone through a bit of stuff recently together, but uh, to, to open it up, I'll sort of ask you the broad question of uh, how, how, what's your mental health journey been like and what are the, the, the highs and the lows been and what have you learnt about yourself over, over your, I don't know, your 30, sub, sub 28, 30, 28, not, not, quite looking there, a, yeah. not looking a day over 25. <laughs> um, I guess over that time, what have you, what have you learnt? It's just to I'll I'll try and like do it my way, and I'll start from reverse chronological order. I'll talk about recent what I've yeah learned, yeah I mean, rather than because I feel like that would make more sense. That's the freshest stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, me and you, mate, we go to the pub a lot. Yes. We like we like the pub, don't we? We certainly do. We're, we're comfortable in the pub. Not ashamed to admit that. <laughs> um, I've been two weeks off the booze, which in hindsight for some people doesn't seem that groundbreaking no there's a lot i do have a lot of questions about that but go on yeah it's not that groundbreaking for some people because what i've what i've learned recently is my anxiety is at its worst when i'm hungover and wow that's not like a like eureka statement no but there are some really worrying symptoms that i do suffer as a consequence of booze yeah right um it's not something that i you know, like obviously it's, it's what I um, experience when I'm hungover, but it's something that I need to eradicate from my life because that's me at my worst. Mm. But as a consequence, I am really like feeling a, a depletion in my social life because I feel like my life is orientated around that. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm an alcoholic. I'm not saying that I'm living for the pub. It's who you surround yourself with, mate. Exactly. It's It's... And I mean, I, I, I try and do an alcohol-free month yeah. once a year. Yeah. And I've sort of found, from the outside, you look at it and you think, I'm, I'm removing a negative influence immediately. Yeah. I've always found in my sort of first week of yeah. an alcohol-free month that my mental health declines. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's because, like, you know, alcohol is an addictive substance, right? And I don't know whether 
I'm going through withdrawal symptoms and it, it affects my mental health. I, I feel I sleep worse yeah. in the first week after. Yeah. So I, oh, I was, quality of sweet, uh, sleep is awful. After the first week, yeah. but then you, you, you notice the turnaround, which is why I think that the, the months are a good amount of time or, or yeah. you're aiming for, what, three weeks or something, I Up think. until the World Cup, maybe yeah. it's Friday. So well, first, I mean, we've got a game on Monday, but you can't be one o'clock in the afternoon. You can't be people, sneaking off from work. I know people, people will be. find a way. <laughs> uh, but I, I did find, and, and uh, for... The last three times that I've done it, I try and do it once a year. The first week is, it, it is a hangover uh, yeah. without the um, the nausea and the, the dizziness and the what have you that you have during the day of a hangover. Yeah, yeah. But it is still a hangover where your sleep drops away, your mental health's poorer, you really have to work on, like you say, the social stuff. And I think the last time that I did it, I really endeavoured to put myself out there and do everything that I would have yeah. socially anyway, which meant a lot of nights in pubs. I think I did, what, two or three nights in a pub with you over the last month where I wasn't yeah. drinking and yeah, yeah. fighting the, 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 the not only the, the natural peer pressure that comes, but the implied peer pressure of, you know, seeing you have a beer and having a laugh at the football. Or whatever. That's what I mean, mate. It's subconscious because you, you told me to begin with that you weren't. And I think if we were in a group setting where there were more voices... I held back straight away. I was like, fair enough, Sips. Like, you got to do what you got to do, mate. Yeah. Whereas if there's other people there, then you're just going to get a different voice and a different nag and a different, oh, come on, mate. Like, nah. it's it, it is a challenge, especially in the larger group. It's the same with anything. Like, yeah. any, any, any sort of thing that's going on at the pub, yeah. it's peer pressure, right? And, and, yeah. and, and, and no one's immune to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite lucky that I'm, I'm very steadfast when I say I'm going to do something. Yeah. So I'm, I'm able to then... Go and Don't do know it. The meaning of that word. <laughs> I'm I'm resolute. If I if, if I'm there, I'm I'm there. Like yeah. I said, I think the first time we went out during that month was like October the third or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I said to you, I'll I'll see you in a month, mate. I'm I'm not gonna be. Yeah. I'll I'll be gone. I'll be I'm I'm off it for a month. It yeah. Will not happen. And I only made one exception for a, a mutual friend of ours who's going to be on another episode of this that that got engaged. Yeah. yeah. So I was like. That's a valid enough reason. You know, I'm making the rules here. I'm not yeah. you know, going to get arrested by the alcohol police if I have a sip of beer. But I said I'll have, I'll have two, so I can buy one round. He can buy one round, and we can cheers. Yeah, and then I'll go back onto it and be fine. Um, but it was interesting that you know you 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 see dropping alcohol as being the silver bullet, mm. and it's not necessarily because you do have that element of poor sleep, which is I've come to learn over the last ten years. Sleep's like one of the most restorative important things it sounds mm. so simple but i don't think that people really understand how far sleep permeates into your mental health mm. it's it's quite staggering like if you don't get your eight hours you all of a sudden you know appetite effects that lead to poor eating that lead to poor gut health we've just had a, a, a fresh glass of my pretty potent glass a of potent glass of my kombucha homemade <laughs> kombucha if if you didn't know i was in my 30s before you do now um <laughs> And all that stuff just adds up with sleep. So when you yeah. lose that sleep in that first week of, of, of not drinking, it's detrimental. And then you say the social side of things, even though mm. I did put myself out there and did really well yeah. in that month, it was so hard to just not, you know, you, 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 you're reserved when everyone else is getting pissed, yeah. pissed around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to be your same sort of out there self when everyone you else feel, is five cans. You feel socially... I don't think inept's the right word. You just don't feel like there's 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 any point being there if you're not on the other level of people. You don't feel like you have that much to offer. Yeah. I know yeah. that sounds stupid because you are you and, and they might be more used to the version of you when you're drunk and you're blah, you're crazy, you're happy. But you, in your sober self, you are constantly, not doubting yourself, but you have voices in your head saying, God, 
I don't feel like I can approach that person because I'm not like there in the face. Oh, good to see you. Uh, yeah, kind of stuff. it's 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 really tricky because you think, are they going to see me differently because I'm not on the piss? Yeah. Uh, that I'm not, you know, getting rowdy with them. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm still, you know, chatting about and having a bit of a joke at their expense or whatever. But you, you feel reserved. I think, and, and you have friends where they would only ever see you like that because you don't have like the intimate moments where. I'm not even saying on a hangover where you just like sit with them sober and you're mellow and you're watching telly and stuff. It might not have been a good day. Work might have pissed you off or something like that. Yeah. They don't really see you like that because you don't have that friendship with them. You only see them in occasions where you are out getting drunk and they think, oh, that's, he's a happy geezer. Like, he's always uh, like, uh, like that. Well, that's the other thing. It doesn't it? paint the picture whatsoever. It's odd because it is such a depressive substance, booze. Yeah. And there's obviously the painting of someone who is an alcoholic being quite depressed yeah. or... or, or drinking to, to drink their problems away. Yeah. But when you get together on that day and you have a couple of beers together, you don't put two and two together that, that might be the reason that that person is there. Yeah. And so it's sort of, it paints, it's, it's an interesting sort of dynamic that we've got, especially, I mean, coming from Australia where we do have the reputation of being yeah. proper boozers and, and really able to have a go and I, I, I hold my hand up and say, I'm doing quite well to maintain that image. You're but right um, You're not doing them a disservice. But London's something else. Like yeah. the, the, the pub culture in London is so, like I say, a pub is like an extension of someone's living room here. Mm. And obviously going to the pub goes hand in hand with having a couple of jars mm. or, or more. And, and it's just the thought of it's comforting, isn't it, mate? It's like a warm hug. Yeah. And it's it's not the place that it should be. It's not it's not the, the, the role that it should have. It should mm. be there and it should be like, come on, let's go to the pub. Yeah. Not, I need to go to the pub, which mm. I feel when you go down and you see the same geezers there, they're always there. You're like, what's it all about, mate? Like, this is not, this is not it. No. Uh, you, you, the balance is wrong. And I th- and, and you, you look around London now, especially post pandemic, and you see like the, the, there's a mental health crisis in the city. And you're not just talking about the people who are on the, on the street who are really struggling, but just just with normal, like normal enough people like you and I, like mm. I don't think anyone's come out of the pandemic sprinting and climbing hills. And because it was such a stop start, it was. I mean, for you personally, you were here for a period of time, weren't you? Then you went back to us, so it was like broken up a little bit. But the bulk of people who are in London at the moment have spent their yeah. whole time here, and they've seen it at its worst. They've seen it at its best, but their brain isn't quite up to speed yet because. Like we're not out of COVID yet because it will always be around, but we can just put a lot of stuff behind us now, can't we? I think But you so. can tell people are still stagnated in their head a little bit. I think that there's a lot of people out there that are very hard on themselves because of that. I think that a lot of people don't. I know that there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with their mental health at the moment. And I don't think that a lot of people have put two and two together and realised that even though the bulk of the pandemic was two years ago, you know, mm. the vaccines have come and we've sort of been able to move on a bit with, with caution. Yeah. I don't think that people put two and two together that their mental health is poor at the moment because of what's happened two years ago. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're, we're recording this in my in my bedroom in East London. I spent four months in here by myself. Mm. And only now am I coming to realise, you know, there's the obvious damage of, of, of not seeing other people. We're social creatures and all that. But mm. even in the last month, I've come to realise I'm still not able to hold a conversation like I used to pre-COVID. Mm. I'm still not able to remain in a room like having a conversation like this like I could before because at that time my only release was screens and Zoom calls and 
you know, that barrier of having a, a, a camera and a, and a screen between you and the person you were speaking with. Yeah. I'm still not at the same level of being able to sit down in a pub and look someone in the face and have a conversation with them that I could before. And you're probably not to know that because we only really sort of met pre, just pre-pandemic possibly, or even during possibly. It was, so when was it, February, March? I left my tenancy in Notting Hill in May and then I moved to the... To, to a, the place that I, you, you took over my room and yeah. in the place. So I must have met you. I moved out of that place two days before the yeah. lockdown. So it must have been, uh, oh, sorry, Boris, an illegal gathering during, <laughs> during, actually, sorry, no, sorry, Boris, you did the same thing. Um, <laughs> but it must have been just, it must have, it must have been going on two and a half years and, since we've known each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's only sort of been in the last two or three months since I've come back from Australia that we've had more conversations around this sort of thing. We've, we've sort of been there in the past when either of us have had instances of poor mental health. We've been able to sort of lean on each other a bit more. And, you know, it, like we say, it has revolved largely around nipping down to the, to the pub or mm. having a beer and watching the football here. But we've spoken about, like, the, the, the COVID and, and, you know, everyone's story is different. I, I'm quite fortunate in that I don't have any elderly relatives here, so I didn't feel the, the, the burden of potentially making elderly members of my family ill from, you know, touching the wrong apple at the supermarket. <laughs> but I, I recognise now that I had made myself quite unwell and it's a, it's a bad habit of mine is I, I, I'm a doom scroller. Mm. So by the time the lockdowns came in the pandemic, I was, you know, an amateur epidemiologist. I knew what the, the R number meant already and I knew the reproduction rate of the virus. I knew all this shit Mate, in my head. You, and you could just... spin that two ways, sorry. You could spin that two ways because it was unprecedented. None of us have been through anything like that before. So you could cool. say in one part you're educating yourself and then in another part, the more pessimistic part was you were winding yourself up with what was going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to that end, I did sort of know what I needed to do and, and probably a large part of why I was able to avoid the virus for, for two years yeah but now looking back and looking back on my habits then i can sort of recognize and i can recognize it now because i did a lot of the same things at the start of this year when the the, the war in ukraine broke mm. out I, I sort of followed the same pattern of really that was crazy though that was very instantaneous the way that came about because it did seem like the start of world war three not to say that we're not going to lead to that <laughs> because the two other world wars had a bit of a cold start there was an incident and then it led to the main thing so I'm not going to jinx it. Where's Wood? Touch that. Yep. But thank you. yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you, mate. When it first came out, I was like, Jesus, like, what is going on? Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, you're talking about things like war and pandemics. You're not talking about it's doom scrolling for a reason, right? Yeah. So there's no, yeah. there's no joy. You're not looking coming. for bad news if there's no bad news. It's just there's a pretty catastrophic event that's happened. Uh, yeah. And so uh, in doing so, that, that impact, the 24-hour news cycle can impact your mental health as well. And that's sort of a thing that I've only really picked up on as a bad habit. I've had people, I've had people tell me about it in the past and say, you, you need to back off. And I've sort of just bat, batted it away and thought, that's not, that's not right. That's, I, I, I know myself quite well. But I'm always learning new things. Uh, and, and that's, I think, one of the main benefits around sort of the, the mental health revolution, which was the sort of the, the, the 2021 phrase that, has maybe gone away a little bit in 2022 where we're yeah. not focusing on mental health like we Oh, mate, like, like most mental health matters, sweep it under the carpet because not many people want to confront it, do they? Especially, I mean, it, it, it's 100% better than it used to be. It's 100% better than it was 15 years ago. Mm. You'd, you'd never get 
two young blokes. Can I still call myself young? No, you can't, mate. Why are you fighting? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, two guys, two uh, regular, normal young guys, <laughs> uh, coming together to speak about it uh, any longer than two minutes. Yeah. Right? How are you? Oh, under the weather, mate. Oh, buck up, fella. You'll be fine. Mm. Sort of thing. And you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And because, you know, I mean, you're... You're a gigantic man. You're six foot six or whatever, and I'm six foot two. There's that sort of thing where you, you're naturally. I'm perceived, a gentle giant, mate. I'm a gentle giant. You're, you're naturally <laughs> perceived to be strong because yeah. you're big. Yeah. And that perception sort of flows through to internally as well, and there's absolutely no basis for that. Mm. And I think that coming together and having a chat about that sort of thing is is quite large. And I think I, I deeply regret that it's not something that was around in my lower periods of, of, of mental health. One mm. of them was in 2020 after the, the, the pandemic and I sort of was able to recognise the signs of it as it was happening and there were uh, reasons that I had to go back to Australia and I, and I did. But there's been other times sort of in 2017 I had a period of poor mental health but I didn't know how to recognise it until it had become quite a serious issue. Yeah. And then again back in 2010 when I had a really poor a year of mental health and I had no idea what was going on because you know we weren't taught about it in schools we weren't we weren't encouraged to speak to your mates like you know there's days now there's mental health awareness day there's all these sort of days where you know for one day of the year people come together and will say yeah. are you okay to your mates which is a step in the right direction but obviously it needs to be a culture that exists every day. It just seems like there's a massive lack of coverage of it in, in recent years, going even as far back as 10 years ago. Just doesn't, yeah. It almost seems like it wasn't a thing because you can't find... No. It, it, and, and, and the, on a widespread angle, sorry, on like the whole... Yeah, and I think that the, uh, the misperception of it at the time was this person's depressed. What's happened in their life to make them depressed? Have yeah. they, you know, have they become divorced have they suffered a loss in their family have they lost their job is, mm. is there a money situation mm. when the reality is on the surface things could be going incredibly well yeah but internally they're not mm. and i think that especially in 2017 i just sort of returned from what is the, um, as a fairly well-traveled guy the trip of a lifetime i'd spent six months volunteering through africa and i'd, I'd sort of completely adjusted who I was as a, as a person through that and what I valued and sort of came back with a renewed vigour for life and then came back and fell into, and I say fell into because I really did fall into, a, a well-paying job mm. for a 25-year-old. Yeah. Um, and through that time, I just became incredibly unwell incredibly rapidly and it culminated in me driving my car to work on a Monday morning and seeing of all things my entire vision was filled with sheep and golfers hundreds of them like i was driving fields and i could just see sheep and people teeing off all around me and then i woke up and my car was in a ditch i just because of the amount of stress i just switched off mm. while i was driving a car mm. in that moment i quit that job then and there on the spot it was just like that's me done. in like a in a hallucination kind of yeah 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 so they, they, they were i wasn't i wasn't playing through a golf course it was full of sheep no, i was just, just sorry man i wanted to touch on so it was like a not an episode but it was just like a a, a moment kind of just like yeah. i think it was a panic attack but yeah being someone that doesn't like my my mental health is largely 
uh, centered around depression and not anxiety. I have I have medication for anxiety, for instances like that, mm. but it, it, it's really when I'm under periods of intense strain mm. for a really long time that it starts to manifest as anxiety. So if I'm having an anxiety attack or I'm having or, or I'm feeling anxiety, it's because I've ignored something for three weeks or something like that. It's not it doesn't appear. It, yeah. It's something that builds. Whereas for other people, it's the complete opposite, and their anxiety overwhelms them and it depresses them. And I know I know people that are that way inclined, and I do not envy them because that sounds different, but also quite. I'm, I'm a little bit more on that end. Of yeah, the end of I, I, I think that that's probably a bit more of a common sort of thing for our age, mm. right? I think because we've been, we've never really lived in a an era that's hopeful, right? Mm. Since we were, you know, 12, there's been wars in the Middle East. There's been two now financial crises, possibly a, mm. a third on the horizon. There's been pandemics. There's been uh, political leanings and directions that potentially aren't so favourable in America, for example. Mm. Uh, and, and there's never been that era of, you know, 1945, the war's over. That 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 jubilant the sort rejoice, of the rejoice. Yeah. There hasn't no. been there hasn't been that, and there's been just a, a, a like a pit of this environment where we're thriving mm. as best we can, but we've never had that era of things are easy, things are great, mm. and it's not to play victim for our sort of people our age because we've also been quite fortunate that you and I haven't had to even think about fighting in a war. Mm. We got through a pandemic relatively unscathed. I know your partner works in healthcare, mm -hmm. so that's a different thing that you would have had to have dealt with as well. I think you met after the the, the, the worst of the pandemic, but... Just before the second wave, yeah. Just before the yeah, second yeah, wave, yeah. so it's still significant. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be someone our age, and I don't know about, you know, what you're thinking about your future and purchasing a house or something because mm. for me that's completely out of the question and I've resigned myself to that basically mm -hmm. which is hard because from a young age even from the television you watch as a child that's the thing you aspire to own a house look after your family it's it's tricky mate because I've, I've lived in London for five years I'm from Hertfordshire which is a county just outside of London so I'm not far at all you know yeah. at home um kids that went to my school some stayed at home some got a partner, some bought a house, some got a dog, some have a mortgage and such. Kids? And kids, yeah, of course. I think our families, like our parents, because that's how they were traditionally brought up, the thought of their 23-year-old son who's just left uni and really he should be kicking on and focusing on his career. The thought of him, yeah, I, I moved to London for my career, but obviously with London, I can firmly say that the whole time I've been prioritising my social life. And that might not have gone down well with them if I told them blankly in the face and saying, yeah, I'm going to live in the pub, essentially. But I'm going to move back home in February. My tenancy's up and I've reached the end of my time where I'm in London. I can hold my hands up and say I'm pretty burnt out. Mm. And obviously, because my home is so close to London, my girlfriend's still in London. A lot of my mates are still in London. I will spend most of my weekends there. But the fact that I'm not going to be here Monday to Thursday or Monday to Friday, and I'm not going to be winding myself up thinking that I have to be doing something because London works at that speed, that means that I can relax at home and I can focus on what's important, which is progressing in my career. So yeah. the, the purchasing the house bit that you were saying, I want to touch, up, uh, touch on, is 
whenever I go home, I get pressures from my family saying, come on, it's time to buy a house. You need to get on the market. And I'm like, you can't pin me down. Yeah. You can't pin me down. Like, obviously, that's a big milestone and you, you want to have like the best foundations in place. Oh, you want to be in a secure relationship. You feel like you want to be earning enough money and you have enough progression to earn more. But there's just the pressure at home which gets to you. It's just like, come on, son, buy a house. Like, just pin yourself down. I'm like, I think that what it is, is I think that one thing that our generation has not been fantastic at communicating is the priorities have shifted. And, and, and a lot of the priorities, at least for me, uh, are now within, uh, are looking inwards. And, you know, what's the point of having a house if you're miserable? Like, yeah. what's the point of having a partner if you're miserable? Mm. It, it, it's about really getting a good grip with who you are and what you value mm. before you tie yourself into things. Because, like, uh, you, you see all these, well, half of our mates have got parents who are divorced. Yeah. Half of our mates have you know, got parents with, with mental health issues as well, which are it's a completely different kettle of fish because of the culture of speaking that doesn't exist yeah. there like i've got male members of my family who have only now started speaking about their mental health in the last three four five years yeah and they're in their 50s or they're in their 40s or they're in their, you know, their 70s for some of them and it's 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 sad it's really sad mm. because in all likelihood those things haven't popped up overnight like mm. i've had mental health issues since I was probably 12 mm. and only probably when I was about 18 did I realize that they were mental health issues and it wasn't normal to feel the way I did and it was probably only 25 26 when I started acting on it and you look back at that and you think well that's time wasted that time that you didn't you know wh where could you have been if you had known when you were 18 this is what you need to do but at the same time I'm doing this shit when I'm 25 not 55 mm. and that's always going to be the priority and, and and until that time and i'm not there yet and even now sort of like you say you're at the end of your tether with london i'm still working my way back into london having been home for most of this year and it's not fitting right now mm. but at the same time i'm sort of able to be aware of where i'm at mentally to the point where i'm like I am gambling here. I'm, I'm gambling with the level of mental health that I've had through the work that I've, I've done over the past two years, four years, six years. But, you know, for example, I'm, I'm for the first time in six years, I'm not, I'm not at all medicated at the mm. moment. I'm off, I'm off all medication, which is a gamble in itself. But I want the clarity of mind and I want the, 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 the knowledge of myself coming into a situation where short term my mental health might struggle for the reasons that you've said it's such a fast paced place and if you're not prioritising your social life mm. it feels like that will crumble immediately because of it moves so quickly if you're not if you're not catching up with your mates every two weeks they'll catch up with other people and forget about you it's yeah. sort of the feel mm. but at the same time I feel like I've got an opportunity here to really realign what I value and even if the end result of that is me leaving London anyway, because things move so quickly in London, it's the best place for me to stumble upon it and discover it sort of thing, if that makes sense. Of course, mate. It's, of course. It's, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's a balance. And I think, you know, to, to enter into, you know, I'm 31 and then, you know, the expect I'm the same age now as my father was when he had me. Mm. So the expectation, to be fair, from my parents is not, has never really been there for me to do that. But I would feel guilty to, to bring a, another human being into the world when I'm still learning how to take care of myself. There's other reasons I would, I'm not, 
uh, very eager on bringing a child into the world. <laughs> like, I don't want I don't want any child of mine to be shot over a bottle of water in fifty years' time, which is the direction of travel at the moment. But <laughs> but at the same time, I, I would not want to be incapable of caring for that child because I'm not ready to. I'm not mature enough, or I'm not uh, mentally equipped to withstand pressure mm. that comes with it, which is unknown at this point. And so you sort of in that phase of getting a clear headspace, and 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 that you know some weeks are good, some weeks are bad, mm. but it's 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 an ongoing thing. And I, I don't think that the the time frame that our parents ran on yeah. is at all relevant anymore it's not me like whenever i go home it's, it's a nice county town i appreciate it for what it is it's very slow paced which when you live with anxiety in london your head's going 100 miles an hour because it's the environment that you're in and when you come back to a pretty you know secluded place like that you're just like what on earth goes on here like where is everyone and stuff like that and everyone has like a car they have a nine to five they're in traffic to and from work they've got their nice house in the suburbs it makes me feel when I go back, I'm like, I don't feel like I've been a human being for five years because that's what my upbringing has been. Mm. been a nice little town community, nice little bars and cafes and stuff, very slow paced. Um, I've had my football mates and stuff like that. I've never, you know, had like temptation on my door at every moment, which is what London is as well. Yep. By temptation, obviously, first point of call, the pub. Um, so that's obviously going to be difficult for me to get back involved in, but... For me to move into the next stage of my life, I have to let go of certain things of London. I still want to reap the benefits of it, like my good mates, my missus, yeah, my social life, all of that kind of stuff. The stuff I'm into, music, clubs and stuff like that. But there really does need to be a, a fine balance rather than feeling like I'm mismanaging London. I need to segregate my work life and my home life from my social life because they're just amalgamated at the moment. It's all a bit of a mess. Yeah, mine too. It's, and it's, it's, I think it's part and parcel of the place, right? And it... it, it it's a widespread thing within London, which makes it quite difficult to meet people within London because of everyone being in the same frame of mind. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot recently as to the, the, the friends that I've made in London. Mm. And I've largely met them through living together, which is not, I mean, it's not the most natural way, you know, it's not the way that you think that you're going to make friends is 100% through living with them. And I've not met that many people yeah. In, in the wild, so to speak. Like, mm. it's always been through coming home and just chilling on the couch. And It's like a watered-down version of Big Brother. you just got to hope it sticks. Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> you don't want to have to leave the house, though, in case it goes and, and, and it just means that, like, you know, and, and through that you get introduced to other people, but even those friendships don't necessarily stick either. That's just like another nigger in your head. It's just like, I, it's just not embarrassing. You just feel like, I don't want to impress myself on them that much. I don't want to ask, oh mate, we should go for a pint or something like that. Because yeah. you're just cutting out the person who is the middleman. You don't want to feel like you're, obviously you can bring everyone together, but it's just a bit of a weird interaction, isn't it? And I feel like that comes back to the, the COVID thing, right? And, and the, the inability within myself, but also as a, a larger community to, to interact in that way anymore. We had our circles through COVID and we, we lent on them for support and comfort and a, a minute piece of social interaction. Yeah. But they weren't growing at that time. They were just, we have our people, we have our stupid Zoom quiz or whatever we do. Had nothing to talk about, did we? Absolutely no. nothing. No, and then nothing. we would revisit and we would just talk about the virus over and over again. Yeah. And it, But then since then, that hasn't returned yet. And I, I, I've, I've looked back to, and I have a very clear vision in my head of, 
the person that I want to be. And I'm very good in that I never compare myself to others. I'm, ne- I'm you know, if, if I'm, you know, if an ex-girlfriend's taken a new partner or something, I'll never be like, well, what's that person got that I've got? Or, you know, I've been looked over for a job interview. I'll be like, what's the person who, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I've only ever compared myself to previous versions of myself, mm-hmm. which in a way is quite challenging because if you're not the version that wins out, that's a horrible feeling. You like, well, I had something and I dropped it. I, I don't know, mate. I, I know it might be a bit of a uh, stupid example, but so, but for instance, my job is a wealth manager. I'm an investment advisor. The stock market doesn't have a steady curve. It doesn't just go straight, does it? It fluctuates. No. It fluctuates. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it. There's never a steady return on something. Like you're going, as you said earlier, good days, bad days, good months, bad months. There's nothing to say that it's going to be a gradual improvement. No. You're going to have things that happen to you chronologically that are going to affect you, and it's just how you deal with it in a positive way or a negative way. And I think that's the thing. Like I, I, I feel, and that's why I feel like I'm in a spot now where I can gamble a bit because I, I've I've done a lot of work in the last two years. I've taken up like meditation and 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 yoga, and I went and did a silent retreat earlier this year. And I've been focusing a lot on my mental health, and I've seen the benefits. And you know, I'm sort of able to to switch off and bring myself back to the present quite easily now. So I'm sort of in a place where I'm like, right, I have been progressing upwards in the past two years. I'm now going to expose myself to a situation where I might dip, mm. but I'm ready for it, I think. And that's where the gamble is. The gamble lies entirely within the I think. Mm. But I know that I have safety nets in that I can go back to my very similar to what you're describing life in Australia. Mm. It's a slow country town where mm. I know exactly what I'm going to be at five o'clock on a Friday and it's just, you know, I'll be watching the football with, with, with some mates. It's stable, it's reliable. But it's, I don't know if I'm ready. Zone. I just it's don't know if I'm ready zone. for it yet. Full yeah. time, is the is the tricky thing. And the the, the version of myself that I, I see as the, the being the best is is one where I was in Africa and I was doing what I wanted to do with my life, which was sort of helping others and volunteering. But at the same time, I was the kind of person who, if someone new came into the the organisation that I was working for, or, or I met or I saw someone on their own, I was able to sort of integrate them quite comfortably without without awkwardness and and I was that sort of guy who was able to carry himself with the confidence that you know sometimes I appear to still but in my in within myself I know that I'm sort of still in the fake it till you make it phase of it now whereas I, before, I was gonna say that mate I was like you must have met a lot of people I guess everyone has met a lot of people where it's, it's not a character as such but it's just like in a certain situation you do have to act a certain way in that instance, for example, you do want to bring somebody in because you might have your own social anxieties or something like that. Yeah. You need to do your best to make them feel comfortable because it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. You're, put, you're putting yourself to the side for a little bit and you're just like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do something for someone else and it'll make me feel a little bit better. I think one of the most valuable learnings that I've taken about myself is for a long time I've sort of positioned myself as a, a, a generous guy and a, a giving person and, you know, I try and use my mental health struggles as a uh, as an avenue to, to, to create the conversation elsewhere and you know I use my spare time to volunteer and it's only in the sort of the last six months that I've realized I am doing this for selfish reasons I am doing this to get a good feeling about myself and, and I'm ser- I'm still searching I mean we're sat in my bedroom at the moment and if we look around there's a uh, about eight different failed hobbies within view <laughs> so uh, I'm, I, it paints the picture of a guy who's desperately searching for, for meaning and mm. has perhaps only found it once or twice before 
So he knows where it is and he knows the person that was there and he sort of knows that's the person I want to be, but it's in the past. So you sort of, yeah. you struggle with that, but it's, it's, it's been something that I've been very hard on myself in the past for. And then when I say I had poor mental health in 2017, mm. it was because I had returned from that environment where I was thriving, I felt. Mm. I, felt I felt I was in my element. Mm. And then I returned to a, a situation that is, you know, a nine to five for me, but it feels foreign. It feels like I'm, I'm really not reconciling with myself at the end it's of the day. It's society's fault, mate. Like what you were doing out in Africa is a totally different society and it's a totally different meaning of life. And you obviously felt a lot more home out there. It's, it is it is a, a function of society that you can't make a living doing that. Yeah. There's, there's no valid reason that you shouldn't make it, be able to make a living helping the, the, the poorest of us. So that, that should be a perfectly... And, and it, it goes even goes into the argument about what we pay nurses and teachers. Like, oh, mate, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Like my, my missus is talking about nurses finally having a strike because there's a lot of unions recently that have come together, the instance of the railways. Yep. And Post. I don't think, yeah, I don't think they've got what they want, but they really are putting their foot down and, and the union leader for the railways is brilliant. I love him. He's hilarious. Um, but the nurses, absolutely, they need somebody to fight their corner. Yeah. The, the only thing with that, mate, is... They need to do it in a way whereby people's safety and health isn't compromised because I have been talking to her about this and for them to just like drop tools, there's still a lot of people in hospital that require care. So it's, they need to do it intermittently. It's yeah. It's, and then you, you're obviously trading off getting your point across, right? Yeah. Because you know, if you're saving everyone and helping everyone, then they're going to go, well, maybe we don't need you as often as we do. And yeah. your situation gets worse. Yeah. But to, to go back, you, you, you think like, I spent six months just going there on, on my own back. So not only was I not getting paid, I was actually paying to do it. So mm. I, I went through all my savings to do it and then came back and was like, right, I need to find a way to make this my life sustainably now because I've, I've gone through all my savings. I've come back. I've returned to a job that was quite um, toxic for my mental health. I, mm. I, I had thought that um, going back with a few changes, I'd be able to navigate that mm. but also I, I i made a decision with respect to my mental health when i was in good mental health without the knowledge of sort of how i can track like i do now so i made a good i was like i can handle this mm. and then six months down the line i was i was not handling it at all and there were other elements of my life which i was navigating quite successfully like i was in a relationship at the time i had a good family relationship i, I was making new mates at work <coughs> but I was just diminishing by the day mm. and that's where I come back to this year and I say I'm, I'm taking that same gamble now where I'm still in a corporate job. There's only so much fulfilment I can get from a corporate job. I feel like I'm in a good one at the moment. I feel like I'm around people that understand and appreciate my priorities. Mm. But it's still the same. Like I'm still... I keep coming back to saying, like, I'm, if I do my job well, a rich guy in a suit gets a Bentley, right? If I do my job well, my he boss deserves that. Bentley, my boss, he? my boss's, <laughs> my boss's boss gets a fifth Rolls Royce. Cool, good bully for him. But uh, who, who, who's, who's getting food on their plate at the end of the day because of what I do? Who, who's getting their quality of life improved apart from? It, maybe someone has a, an easier job, but we're all comfortably living and well paid. It's, it's not our fault, mate. Like, I guess the life skills that we've developed and whatever we've studied through education has led us to a corporate background. I'm corporate as well. Mm. Um, the, the two, so like you were talking about your job and how 
but six months time it just like hit a wall and you didn't feel that way the the, the main thing for me in the corporate environment is pressure and i'm going to compartmentalize it into two ones it's pressure you put on yourself and pressure you feel externally from other people they obviously come together as like one big group of pressure but god it's just like a weighing scale that teeters because you could actually be doing quite well in your job mm. and people around you are recognizing that but you are really winding yourself up in your head. You're like, oh my god, I'm not, da, 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 da. I'm not meeting so and so. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm a big um, sufferer of in, imposter syndrome. Yeah. In the workplace, I always see myself as all the. I don't know if you've watched this, but all the negatives of like the, the Mike Ross character in Suits. Like I'm not the high achieving, <laughs> super savant that comes in, but I, but I am, constantly living that feeling of, one day they're going to find out that I'm not up to this. Because, because of how I feel on the inside about what I'm doing, I, mm. I, I feel like a fraud. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've I've tricked someone at some stage, and they're going to see through that. And by and large, all the way through everything I've done, that's never come up. Like mm. people are happy with the work that I'm doing, and it's just the the standards that I put on myself to a. You know why are you not doing the thing that you know that you want to do? Why are you not working towards going back to Africa and? helping others and, and doing it, it. It's still chasing a good feeling for yourself, but other people are benefiting as well. And you see yourself as the best version of you that you have been so far at least. Mm. When is someone else going to realise that and realise that you're a, an imposter, that you're, you're pretending to be this corporate guy when deep down there isn't a corporate bone in your body? I guess that's how some people get like pigeonholed into jobs because in some instances it could be like limitations of skill. They simply can't progress. But some people just feel like for the sake of their mental health and their well-being, they just want to do what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. And that is obviously not going to get you anywhere, really, because you're not tackling the issue, i.e. promotions and progression and more monetary, you know, reward. But also just you and yourself, you're just like, I'm not going to put myself out because I know that it will go wrong. Because I'm really like, as soon as I try and develop in any sense or do something of any risk, I'm just going to wind myself up. I'm going to get myself into a state. Yeah. And I think that was exactly where I fell in this other job is... is there, it was a toxic workplace for a number of reasons that I, I don't need to call out at the moment. But at the same time, I was in a comfort zone. I, was, mm. I have no ambition to be promoted. I had a deal. So the deal that I returned to happened to be, I, I so I, I came back from this massive vacation. I had left on very good terms with them. I'd sort of said, I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm resigning. I'm going to be gone for six months. And then I'll come back. And when I came back, they heard I was back and they said, come and have a coffee. We'll talk. And I didn't think much of it. And then I went in and they said, well, what, what would it take for you to come back? I was like, this is a good sign. Um, and I sort of said, well, I want to sort of switch departments because I wasn't, I was genuinely unhappy with the work that I was doing, not by anyone's fault, but, you know, you put a certain amount of papers on my desk of a day or you send a certain amount of emails of tasks to do and mm -hmm. I'm not fulfilled by them. You can't change that. Like, yeah. I'm happy to come back to the organisation but move to a different part where I'll be working with a close friend and we'll be able to do something that I really enjoyed last time. And they, and I said, but also, you know, I've, I've just picked up a new, just picked up a new relationship, which was very important to me at the time. And I've picked up this entire different worldview and half of myself that is so important to me that I want to maintain. Mm. And what I found was almost, and, and, and I said, for, to do that, I need three months off in, in the year. And part of me now looking back, thinks that I made those demands so unrealistic at the time because obviously it was less flexible pre-COVID and all this. Yeah. At the time I made those demands so realistic, I think in the hope that they would say no and then I would be, the safety net would be gone, which is where I thrive. Mm. I thrive without the safety net. 
but they said yes and it was sort of almost as if they called my bluff in mm. a way so i was like well i have to take it now like people don't ask for this kind of thing and get it i think they've got the 20 percent pay rise in there as well so i asked for obscene yeah. amounts of stuff and they gave it to me so i went back and by day two i was like no this is wrong this is not right so all that time off that i needed to um not only um sort of continue to foster a, a long distance relationship from australia to denmark but also to to reconcile this corporate version of myself with the work that I wanted to continue in Africa. I found even within three months, I was using all of that time off to recover mm. my mental health. Mm. And that was, it meant a lot, of, a lot of time with my girlfriend at the time, but the first two weeks of every period of that, that leave was just shedding that, that weight mm. off. So I, I was only getting a quarter of what I needed from it because it's so much of it was just recovery. I wasn't in a sustainable situation. And then from that, it snowballed quite quickly to feeling like I'd completely lost the side of myself that was so important to me and relentlessly punishing myself for that up until, you know, even a year ago. Like it, it's been a, a common thread where I've been like, you know, you you peaked at 25. Like you, 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 you found the thing you wanted to do and you're unable to do it. You're now going to be stuck in these coffin box jobs for the rest of your existence, always looking back. And it's only been in the last year where I was like, I need to have another crack at this. Mm. I need to have another crack, but in a way where I'm not spending a full inheritance worth of money because I don't have another one now. It's gone. I need to find a way to use the corporate job that I'm doing to build some skills so that I can find a sustainable way of giving back. Which is what, which is the, which is the risk I'm taking now. I'm, I'm in a job that is only so fulfilling. I won't say unfulfilling or anything like that because they're, they're nice people and they are. It's a culture of patting people on the back, which is definitely what I need, given that I've got the imposter syndrome always there. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I don't want to be there when I'm fifty-five. I don't want to be there when I'm forty-five. Mm. Maybe when I'm thirty-five, we'll see. I'm, like, I'm young. I'm young. <laughs> um, but instead of just being like, I'm going to drop everything now because this is not what I want to do, I'm now sort of thinking, I can use this job. They want to educate me. They want they want me to pick up a project management certification. I can do that. It'll make me better at this job so I can put some money aside to, to, to work on projects in the future. But also I'm developing skills that I can take away with me. Mm. And as long as I'm vocal about that in the organisation, and I think that that's, a, that's one thing that corporate environments have sort of come a long way in the last 10 years is being able to sit back and be like, we're not going to be here forever. Like mm. even the managers speaking, not down, but down the hierarchy to me, thinking, yeah. oh, well, I don't want to be here for 50 years. No. I, don't, I don't want to die in this office. I don't want to, you know, I, 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 my ambitions are greater than coming here every day as well. Mm. But what can we do in the next three to five years, 18 months to three years? I think the, the conversation around that's been a lot better. Than before when you sort of you, you stepped into a job and there was the sort of implied you're here forever now it's tricky mate like so i, I worked in a practice in central london in bank which was a, a independent financial advice firm mm. and the big dogs there they were talking to people that were high net worth and they were were retaining like a lot of funds under management and they're being paid very well but they were living to work they weren't working to live because there's a massive, massive difference. Like some oh, people huge. don't have the luxury of being able to work to live. So, for instance, I've taken the skills from that. 
and I'm now setting up my own practice with my dad and I have the full intention to work to live. Mm. I'm not going to put myself out any more than I should because I'm doing my job not for the love of it. I'm doing it because I want to earn enough money so that I can do the things that I want in life, the things that I do want to do. And of course, I'm a lucky person for having that that option to be able to do that. But it being in a corporate environment, I've learned that some people do truly live to work. And it's just such a weird existence. It's it's Yeah, it's nothing because you just think that organisation will not hesitate to turn around and eliminate you if it needs to because it's, it's, it's not the organisation that you work for as a whole. You know, it's you're, run, you're a pawn it's on run the chessboard. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're replaceable. You're replaceable. But it doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have a heart. It's a, a building yeah. or a, an amalgamation of buildings around the world or whatever you, you may be. And there might be people making decisions on its behalf, but it's ruthless and it's soulless and it's, mm. it's, it's difficult. And, and you know, I've, I've fallen foul of that before where I've said to the wrong people potentially that, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not fully engaged. I'm not uh, loving this. I'm, I'm, I'm misaligned with where I want to be going. And then instead of having them take me under my wings, their, their wing and say, I'll look after you, you know, the, the kind of, I guess, nurturing that our generation mm. need, right? We're, we're not, you know, we're not, we both work in a corporate environment, but I would not be able to survive in what you've seen in the movies of 80s working environments where you do 14 hour days and you yeah. do six day yeah. weeks and all this sort of thing. I did it for one year mm. and I absolutely despised it. Like it was, it was something that I signed up for and after one year, that was it for me. And, and since then I've been able to, and I'm quite proud of it, I've been able to keep that mentality of working to live and defending that no matter if it's against you know a, a ceo or a, or a direct manager or mm. or direct reports or, or whichever direction that pressure is coming from i'll be like you know i'll be i'll be logging off at, at the time that i've logged off I've, I've signed a contract that says this is how many hours i give you per week mm. the other hours are important to me as well and they're more important to me these hours are important to me so that i can get paid mm. so that i can live mm. so that i can eat so that I can put a roof. You're a professional. You have to apply yourself in those hours, but obviously your mind can tend to like lead elsewhere because you are thinking about other things. Obviously, external factors. Yeah, that's it. And and, and sort of you know I, I I'm quite vocal about you know I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be in my. Well, I don't even necessarily subscribe to the idea of a career. I I think that I'll do, I'll do whatever I can to get paid and get paid well, which I'm again very fortunate that I am, but. You know, I don't have any ambition of standing up and, and, and being the, my boss's boss in 10 years' time or, or being my boss in five years' time. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm here. I've, I've got a set of skills that I can apply here. Mm. And the the benefits of being in that organisation, both the financial benefits, it's it's staggering to me that the, the, the more well-paid you are in London, the easier you know it is to get life insurance and dental insurance, all this stuff that comes through mm. corporate jobs where you, where you look at the people who need them who aren't getting them and I'm sort of, you know, I've got dental insurance and I'm like, well, I'm fine, my teeth are fine, but there are people out there who are, who need it desperately who aren't getting it and it's like, it is, yeah. when you get to the, like the late 20s, early 30s, you sort of start to see the, the society we live in where the fortune does favour the wealthy and we're right down the bottom end of the, the wealthy scale. We're still scraping a little Let's bit. Let's not even pass in that one, mate. Let's say we're, we're working our way there. But... Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm coming into this job and I'm, I'm, I'm walking out with like 
health insurance so that I can, if I want to, I'm currently paying my therapist out of pocket. Is it Pri- private, private health? I'm yeah, paying it yeah, privately. Yeah. I'm, I'm paying her out of my pocket, not using insurance at all. Yeah. But I know that if I, if I want it and I need, and I fall on hard times, but I'm still in my job, I can use that. Mm. Whereas the people who really need it have, you know, there are, there is free healthcare in this country, but it's so hard to navigate. Mm. And the people who desperately need it, like I once did, it's such a bureaucratic nightmare to get to it that it's impossible for them to attain it in, mm. in, in a way. And that is really difficult to reconcile. And, and sort of in days gone by, I would have felt a, a, a guilt, like a, that I'm, it's a privilege, guilt. Like mm. I'm so fortunate that I'm able to, to access these things and others aren't. Whereas now I'm, I'm sort of using, well, I've got tools here. I, and I, I, my mind frame is to give back, that mm. I, I can now sort of utilise these without guilt and work towards a life where I do give back. And and that's sort of yeah. the gamble. To, to put a twist on what you just said about, say, for instance, like workplace benefits, what I really find hard to come to grips with in the corporate world is, yeah, that's all brilliant, having all these sorts of things on your contract. But what I hold much more value in is having a team around me that has an emotional compass because yeah you're you're protecting say if i get run over by a bus and i lose a leg or something oh thank you you've given me private health insurance so i can get that sewed back on can i actually like have a one-to-one conversation with you in a room where we can talk about my development and how the business is doing Mm. because that's what i lack severely in my roles that i've had so you're obviously doing the corporate thing mate they can claim that back as a a business expense yeah so it's like in their best interest as well because they're not really losing a lot on the books but they're obviously giving you all these like nice little you know bells and whistles on your contracts and stuff. But I'm just like, I can't even have a conversation with you. You won't even look me in the eye because we don't we do not do that here. We just get on, we put our head down and we do our job. Yeah, I, I, I've been in organisations where um, promoting mental health meant uh, buying a foosball table. So, sure. You don't even let me have a lunch break. How can I play, yeah. fo- <laughs> How can I play foosball? Correct. I'm working 11 hour days and I, I, I and, and the, the culture being such that if, someone heard the clacking of the foosball table, there'd be heads poking out of offices to see who was using the foosball table. And you'd be like, oh, yeah. I'll sculpt back to my desk like a little mole that I am. And <laughs> you just think, well, what's the point of that? It's, it's all Stop most... distracting everyone. <laughs> Again, absolutely correct. And it's just, it's, I'm quite pleased with the steps that I've taken to remove those elements from my life because especially when I sort of returned to a toxic workplace, there was a great risk that that was going to be it for me. And I, and I was in a box job and I'd just stay there and wither away. And mm. I've not done that. And I've sort of, you know, like you say, it's not linear. I've come over here and that was really hard when I came here because I was unemployed for four months in London, which is an expensive place. And I was, uh, I had connections in Europe and in, in London, but I felt quite alone uh, and made the active choice to, to, to move into a place where I, was going to pick up a lot of friends rather than sort of a, a comfortable the place previous to this the first Co- move. correct yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i've come yeah. out of that with a lot of mates and and a lot of good mates so that was a, a good decision but you know that that was a hard time when i moved over mm. and i sort of saw firsthand how aggressively difficult london can be and that was pre-pandemic i i don't envy anybody moving to london solely i don't at all I moved to London five or so years ago. I moved into a place in Notting Hill with a girl that I met travelling and we were mates. 
Um, again, I'd known the girl. I, I wanted to move to London for my career, but obviously like, I'm from near here, Hertfordshire. A lot of people didn't see the need at all to move because it's so close. Why would they? And the way for, and this was the totally wrong way to go about it. I was just like, what is the way that I can meet people instantly? And it was mm. dating. Which is another good topic to talk about in terms of like it's, mental health stigmas, mate. It is. It's a minefield out there for that. Sorry to interrupt, but it just it felt right for me to just go into that bit now. No, perfect, perfect segue. And I think it's it's again like we have spoken about this because it, it because uh, the life moves so quickly in in London. It's it's exactly the same with making friends. It's it's it, it feels impossible to make a connection with anyone because. You know, next week they'll be they'll be their life will be different next week. Mm. Next week they'll have moved a week further in a London life, which yeah. you know, if you want to compare it to a life in Hertfordshire or Wodonga where I'm from, yeah. It's a month's worth of time, really. Mm. You you do that many things in a week and there's always stuff happening and it's always moving, even you know, careers, social, home. You, you live a month every week and yeah. it's exhausting. But it means that, you know, if you if you meet someone you have to see them all the time, otherwise life just moves on. Or, you know, a city as populous as London is, everyone's got 10 options. Yeah, there's just a real lack of commitment because, as you said, you could just go on your phone and access so-and-so from so-and-so, couldn't you? And, all and you've because... got to do is put your parameters like 10 kilometres, you can access the whole of London's circumference and you can just see whoever and like... And because people aren't, uh, like you've said and like I've said, people aren't committed to a full life here. Mm. So... The, the approach to friendships and dating is completely different to... Yeah, absolutely, mate. To, to, to where you are. And, and I've sort of gone full circle with that sort of element of my, my life in the last sort of few years in that I've been through that rigmarole and now I'm sort of coming at the other side of it and being like, I've, picked up, I've, I've actually picked up quite a few good friends that way through, mm. through the, the dating apps. But on the whole, it was poor for me mentally because... The people that I have met in my life have sort of fallen into my world in the most unusual sort of ways, and it's yeah. not through dating apps. And you sort of think, well, that's just how I'm aligned. Then I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, it's one of those things where you've got the the paradox of looking. You'll never find something that you're looking for, mm. sort of thing. And as soon as you do, it's expectation and, and pressure, and it's not fair on yourself. You could have somebody brilliant sitting in front of you, and you could just be like, "Why would I commit to that when I can just go on my phone and look for something better?" Because right now, at this moment, I'm quite unhappy in myself. I just want something perfect to be sitting across me. I'm not willing to give this person a chance or even a second date it's, or something like that. I mean, it, it's the same as all the other elements of social media and the internet, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Instant gratification. So your brain's wired. It's dopamine hits. It's all sorts. Correct. It? It's it's dopamine and it's 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 the instant gratification of a match on Hinge or a match on Tinder. Yeah. Like, oh god, this person wants to. It's a load of bollocks, mate. Excuse yeah. my language, but it is. It's not the worst you've said, but uh, <laughs> no. But you're absolutely correct. It is. It's it's. I mean, it works for people. I I, I know people that have met that way, and 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 you know, it's the same as anything on your phone or on the internet. They're tools, and if they're utilised in the right way, they're fantastic. Yeah. Like Facebook and you know social media in its early stages was brilliant for bringing people together. Yeah. But now, uh, and I, I was speaking. I was in. I was in Sweden a week ago, and I was speaking to a friend about this. And it's it's no coincidence that the periods in my life where I've made real friends, and 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 again, probably a thing that I keep coming back to is. I went, so I went to Africa initially in January of 2016 and I said at the, at the end of the, the three weeks that I was there, 
I feel like I've made more lifelong friends in these three weeks than I have in the year prior. Mm. And then again, probably part of why I look back on the 2016 version of myself and think that's the best person I've, I've ever been is because I made at the time through the three or four places that I went, just friends, just because you'd sit around a table and you'd have a beer at the end of the day and you know you, your phone was still there. It'd be playing music or something in the background, but it wouldn't be pinging constantly because you know your internet was patchy. Mm. So you were forced to sit there and just talk oh, yeah, about... Yeah, you're putting a position to, aren't you, really? And not only were you there f- forced to speak to the... I think the good thing about being forced to speak to the people that were there was you might not have necessarily fully gelled with them or fully liked them. Like now in London and through social media, like most of my friends are very similarly aligned in what they believe. Mm. They're very similarly aligned in what they value. So, you know, I've got a lot of football friends and I've got a lot of people who lean the same way as me politically. And I'm never challenged anymore on, on, on what I believe. Whereas if you, when I was in Africa, you'd sit around with people who, who came from completely different backgrounds of life or different ages or different troubles or, or whatever. And you, you're like, you know, someone might be really abrasive, mm. but you'd still have to sit there and speak to them because you had no other choice. Well, that's, that's a testament to how you apply yourself because if you feel like you might be triggered by someone like that, then you need to look at yourself, don't you? Uh, yeah, and that, and that, I mean, it's it's just the natural way that society seems to have gone through the overuse of social media and it goes through to dating apps as well. Yeah, absolutely, because you hear like this modern term, ick, it's just such a stupid concept, isn't it? It's just such like, such little stupid trivial things and it's like the example you gave, somebody might be abrasive over the, over the other side of the table you don't like them, fair enough, you've made that, but you just sit through it. People look for any given reason not to like somebody now, and it could be something as stupid or trivial as I'm not going to give a reason, but people would know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. just ridiculous. It is funny that, you know, 25 years ago, the reasons that people give for not, you know, continuing a friendship or a relationship, they sound like they're straight out of a Seinfeld episode. They sound like <laughs> they sound like the reason that Jerry Seinfeld broke up with someone, you know, I didn't like the way they chewed peas or something like that. And you're just like... And now they, people just say, oh, it gave me the ick. And you're yeah. like... And there's no returning from that because once that ick has been established, there's really no it, going back. It's a rot. And it's just horrible, mate. It's just like... I'm, I'm, I've had my girlfriend for... Had her, sorry, I'll let me rephrase it. I've been with my girlfriend for a year and a half. I love her to bits. Neither of us are perfect. But I'm not going to call it an ick because that's just immature and stupid. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. It is... We've become far less accepting as a society and, it's, and it is because, like... The social media pages are curated now. We're our own moderator of our own life. Like I can paint a picture of my life on Instagram, which is quite different to how I live. And most of the time is spent here in in a you know it's a it's a nice room that we're sat in. I've set myself up comfortably, but it's not the jet setting person that I sort of established myself as on Instagram. And it's not the the, you know well travelled, bro. Well travelled. You get (laughs) everyone gets the highlights reel, and I've been quite. Uh, wary of making sure that I sort of post the lowlights reel as well, just so you know, I, I've you know I've been to, I've been away the last three weekends. I'm living quite a jet setting life, but there are low points that come with that as well. And you know, I, I know there's people out there that have it far worse than than me. But you know, that doesn't comfort me. You know, on a night where I'm in here by myself and I am not doing well mentally, mm. and you know, there, there, there's been many of those, and and sort of it's it's hard to sort of get that out there, even now because you look around and you see if if people have active social media profiles or even strangers with active social media profiles, you're just like everyone's everyone's out there thriving. You know, everyone's out there. Doing great stuff. Well, it's, it's become a career, hasn't it? Some people have made a living out of it, but some people 
do live off of their social media and as you've said it doesn't give you the full picture you're not going to probe that person because it's the content that they're putting on there they could be putting like i don't know i'm at a bar this week and i'm doing this doing that that's not going to give you the indication that they're not doing okay but they're obviously just as you said they're they're pinpointing certain points where they were at their best or they appear at their best and I know for a very long time, you, you, you can't probe people on it because that was how I, for a long time, when I wasn't sure of myself, sought validation for who I was. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I put things up to receive support from others without, you know, having to say, I need, I need, I need a cheer up. But I did, I would put things on social media because I needed the dopamine hit of getting hundred likes or whatever and that and that was completely unhealthy but I knew that that would help with what I was going through now I sort of I, I'm quite I've, I, I'm still quite active on social media but I now quite I use it as like a, a time capsule mm. so I quite appreciate it now because I can look back and sort of you know today for example I, I, I had a reminder on Facebook again tell you I'm in my 30s without telling you I'm in my <laughs> 30s but it was and it was of a traffic jam in Cambodia and I was like, that picture means absolutely no one, nothing to anyone, mm. except for me and potentially one other guy, my mate Sam, that I was with in Cambodia and we were in a, a bar and it was the night that Barack Obama was in town, so the traffic was absolutely wall-to-wall because Barack Obama was in Cambodia. That's pretty nice. It was, it, so I remember that completely. <laughs> and we ended up going to a, a pub, as we as 21-year-old guys would do, and we got... And we got beaten to the ground by this guy from Nigeria in pool. And he just obliterated us about 50 times over. And I and I look at that picture now and I remember all of those things about it. And I remember the not so good things as well. There was um there was an issue that was happening back home that I should have been attending to as well with a with a partner of mine that I was very torn on whether I should leave the holiday or stay. And I was like a 21 year old who wasn't mature enough to to, to, to make a decision. Yeah. And I was very torn by that and, and having the guilt of enjoying my holiday. And so I, I remember all of that as well. So I'm thinking of the great time with my mate, mm. and, you know, being young and travelling for probably the second time in my life. So there was a whole different world mm. of wonder about it. But then also this negative stuff as well. And I see that when I look at photos that come up from two years ago or four years ago or you eight years ago. You're on the head, mate. Like that photo means a lot to you. There's photos out of them mean a lot to other people. You've, you've, you've respond. So I think that, I think that, you know, like I say, it's it's a tool that can still be utilized for good, but the negative mental health side of things, I've come out of the other side of the social media thing now, but for a long time in my twenties, it was a very negative influence on my life. Mm. And I didn't realize until, you know, and it it goes sort of hand in hand a bit with the, like the doom scrolling that we were speaking about before. It's all about how you use it. You can keep yourself very well informed with the internet, but at the same time, there was a point there where, again, you'd have nothing to talk about with your mate because you, you, you put everything you'd done online. Yeah. It was all there. You'd already sort of told everyone. Well, I appreciate your Insta post a lot because you go to some interesting places. They're very informative. You're one of the only people I know that use it for a, a positive reason other than to show that they're doing something, but it just tends to be a variation of the same thing, which is getting pissed and going out and stuff like that. And yeah, you're with your mates and stuff like that. I don't feel like that needs to be... Keep those photos to yourself, because it's like, oh, do you remember when we went out? You don't need to plaster it all over social media, because all you're doing is, as I said, a variation of the same thing. 
When I go out, like I like to go to techno raves, for instance, and I'm putting something on my story at four in the morning. People are waking up going, what on earth? Like, who cares, like, who cares for starters? Why did, why did I feel like people would care? And why is he posting that on? It's just like, he's four in the morning. What's he doing? Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen those and I'm just like, better him than me. <laughs> that is absolutely not my scene. And I don't, I don't think it ever has been. Like, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it having ever been to one of those. But it's just one of those things where you're just like, I know that's not my thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to go to one to know it's not my thing. If I'd have known that, like, because that's how a lot of people would feel. Why do I feel like that I'm doing it not for myself, but I'm doing it to document it to other people? Why do I feel like that? It's yeah. Just keep those videos to myself, and I don't even watch them the next morning because the phone's waving, so I'm not feeling too great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the and the light's no good for you and all that, and you and you, yeah, you. But I'm not doing books. it for me. That's my point. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for other people because I've just given myself this impression that these people want to know what I'm doing. No one gives a fuck. I think, no one cares. I think the thing is, when I turned around and started doing it for myself and sort of realised, I don't care if anyone else sees this. I'm doing it, A, because I enjoy taking photographs. I enjoy writing about the places that I'm at. And then the, the most important thing is when it comes up again in the future, I enjoy reading them back and being like, you know, learning slightly obscure. It's a modern day journal. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it, it is. And that's how I treat it now. It, it, it's a journal and I'm journaling. And, and that is proven to be quite a, a positive thing for your mental health. Yeah. I think that the way that I do it, I'm able to sort of, you know, put it out publicly, which you're not, obviously, that's a, a little bit different to your traditional journal, but because of the, the imagery and the, and, and, and the words that are in there, I can then draw back and be like, well, yeah, this is, paints a brilliant picture of Germany when I was in Germany. But I know, for example, I had this going on in my life and this going on in my life and this going on in my life for example, I, I, I know that I've always held a negative view of Prague and the Czech Republic because when I went, I had a large argument with a girlfriend at the time, so and I've always attributed that to Prague, which is ridiculous mm. because you know it wasn't the city that caused it. It was all sorts of different things. But yeah. when I look back and see photos of Prague, they look idyllic, and you know I'm on a European holiday. I've come all the way from Australia. It's lush and it's beautiful. Those beautiful big cold beers as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I can look back and be like, I was having the most miserable time there. I was so upset and I was so despondent. But the photos look nice. Mm. And it's it's sort of when you flip that around and you're like, I want to document this so that I remember where I was at in my life, literally and emotionally. Mm. It's become quite a, a positive tool. And there is, you know... There's still the scrolling on the toilet, and there's the you know mindlessly, You're a human, mate. You're a human. mindlessly right, looking mate. at it, which is I'm TikTok's the worst one. Right, I've never delved, thankfully. Oh, again, mate, please don't. If you've got an obsessive personality like me, you can't get off it. You cannot get off it. Again, I've got a very addictive personality, so I'm a, I mean I'm afraid of it. But it's like a again, I'll say that it's it's another statement that you're. You're in your thirties, but you're not in your thirties or whatever. But it's it's, it's 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 Vine, mate, isn't it? They just reinvented Vine, haven't they? It's like essentially, but there's something that's a lot more like engrossing about it. I don't know what it is. I, I just it's you, dopamine, mate. Just scrolling, you just yeah, like, oh, do, you like. come back and you just like oh, I don't do a TikTok, mate. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't <laughs> like it. You you stop skateboarding on the sidewalk and just leave me alone. Just, I'm, I'm happy on my own. But yeah, that one I've, I've thankfully not delved in, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's still a massive problem out there, right? And it's obviously used, and then there's all the other problems around it. It's political uses, and you know, we're we're speaking in mid-November. We're I don't know when this will be released, but you've got Elon Musk doing all of his stuff with with Twitter at the moment, and you're just like, well, what? Are, what's going on there? 
What did he pay? Forty-one billion. Just yeah, some. And yet three quarters of their employees have walked out because he's just absolutely trashed the place, hasn't he? It's 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 pretty wild. It's it's and I mean, the uh, the political side of me feels like coming out and slow clapping and just saying, "Is anybody else seeing how the workers are being treated and how people <laughs> should be treated?" Is is no one else recognizing the wider implications of this no. sort of meme that it's become? But again, it'll be the same as like. You know, last month it was Kanye having a complete public mental breakdown and everyone sort of just being like... Anti-Semitic. Ah, yeah. but yeah. Look, at, look at the guy who's clearly uh, having a manic episode and we're not... Well, we know he's bipolar. This yeah. has been documented it's, for quite a few years. Uh, and, and you know, the, 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 you know, even the obsession earlier this year with the, the Johnny Depp case, the court case thing, you were like, there's a lot of stuff here that society really needs to talk about. Yeah. That they're not because everyone's like, oh, I'm team Johnny or I'm team so and so. But that's celebrity culture, isn't it, mate? Like, oh. we don't feel like we can relate to them in any sense, really, because they're put on a pedestal. So when they do have these issues, i.e., Kanye and his mental health issues, Johnny and his massive domestic with his missus, yeah, yeah, of course that happens day to day, like with your normal person, but because they're put on a pedestal, they, you just think that they're like varnished, they're perfect, they don't have these. These yeah. vices and these problems and all sorts. And it puts the pressure on you to be the same. Yeah. Which is why I, I just Rock it. and roll. Johnny yeah. Depp. It's, it's not rock and roll, is it? It's just sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a brief glimpse into the, the veneer coming off. And instead of sort of people taking the time to be like, maybe we shouldn't idolise these people the way that we do. Yeah. People doubled down and were like picking sides without knowing the full context because they were celebrities and you, you know. I like that movie that he was in, or I like the thing that she did, or or, or whatever. And, and you know, you just think, well, there's a there's a wider conversation to be here that's not being had. Oh, it's just cool to like that person, so I'm going to like him, and I'm going to have this fake impression. Even worse, that. right? Like yeah. you, 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 you're not even developing your own opinions at that point. You're developing someone else's. Yeah. For, for the for the sake of fitting in, which yeah. is yeah, it's 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 a scary slope. And I'm, you know, there's all these things that you can sort of say. I'm doing this for myself, and I'm I'm applying these techniques and these rules. But by and large, I don't mean spit if everyone else isn't. Like you can you can be sort of so comfortable within your yourself, but if you go outside and you're fully mentally aware of how you react to triggers and how you can comfort yourself in periods of high stress or anything like that, if you go out there and, and people are completely wild, mm. you're not gonna be comfortable. So it needs to be a sort of a you know, there's an internal revolution to be had, which I'm well on the way to, to doing, but we still need to have the conversations as a society and, you know, the, it, it improves, but then I sort of feel like at the moment we're quite stagnant with it. We are, and, and you are personally put into situations sometimes where you are compromised with dealing with another person's mental health. Yes. And because it happens so, inst- well, in some instances it happens so instantaneously, there's no right or wrong way to react because you're initially hit with, oh, what, what am I dealing with here? It goes back to like your primal state, doesn't it? Yeah. Fight or flight or freeze. Yeah. And you, you can't change that about yourself. Especially if you said when it throws you off, what's going on, then obviously you lose composure and you lose like train of thought in your head. And then you, as you said, you're put into, maybe not fight or flight, you're just a bit uneasy. You're like, oh, well. Yeah. What 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 do I do? Yeah. I'm not in a situation that I've, I've had to deal with before. So... What's this? Yeah. And that's, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a, you know, an ape that climbed out of a tree a hundred thousand years ago or a, or, a, or a 31 year old who makes a few too many jokes about his age who works in an office. You're going to have the same reaction to that because we've evolved so quickly. Yeah. We, we're still essentially the same 
sort of thing. Some of us can't grow a beard. Um, but, <laughs> but by and large, we're, we're, we're wired the same, which is why a lot of the things that come from our society do not gel with us. And like, it's the, the mental health epidemic is, it's a Western thing, right? Like, as you said before, I'm quite well-traveled. Mm. You don't see this in, like, I went to Indonesia and, you know, you, people like us would go to Indonesia or maybe even people who are a little bit less enlightened, they go there and be like, oh, I don't understand how they live that way. They, they, you know, they don't have running water. They don't have mm. power. They don't have, yeah, how are they cooking out, outside like that or, or mm. whatever? But nowadays I go there and I'd be like, whatever they're doing, they're doing it with a smile on their face and a genuine sort of happiness and, you know, they're just mm. singing or whatever and you're just like, Maybe they're the ones with the answers and we're the ones with the questions. Uh, an ignorant person would say ignorance is bliss, i.e. they're not privy to the stuff that we have accessible to us, but they obviously just appreciate what they have. Yeah. That's I'll... why in London you can get very lost because you have all sorts available to you. You never feel content because if you're doing that, you're not doing that. And if you're not doing that, you're doing that. And it's just, it never ends. And I think even someone like me, and I've never valued money as, a, as, a, as an end goal, even I'm in a spot where I'm like, maybe I'm the ignorant one and what they have is what I want rather than thinking that I've got more because I've got a room full of plants and, a, and a, you know, I'm able to record a podcast in my room and all this sort of thing. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I don't want all that stuff. Maybe I just want what they've got, mm. which is simplicity and genuine connection because mm. they're not, you know, always online and all this sort of thing. And, you know, finding that out is the, is the mission. Really, I think it's it's just a basic human, um, it's a basic human trail of thought. You are a creature of your environment, yes, and we are creatures of our environment in London, absolutely. And they obviously are back in Indonesia or any other country that has a more basic, stripped down lifestyle. Yeah, they, they know what they have there, and they get by, and they appreciate what they have. We are the opposite here. We know what we have. It's never enough because so and so down the road has this, or so and so down the road's doing that. Well, I've looked at my phone and they're doing this and I'm not doing that. And it's just a revolving. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's one that I think the conversation is good around. Like you see people who are still, like you say, living to work and you feel like they're going to have to realize at some stage or another that there's, there's more to it than getting a promotion. There's more to it than what's it all what, what's it all about for you? Yeah. And you know those people, some people who do that again, completely content with the way they live. So I could never sort of, and I'm very wary nowadays of like projecting what I see as an ideal life onto someone else because I may be wrong, and I and I may be wired differently through lived experiences and non lived experiences that they might have had that I've not. Mm. where they they are achieving what they want and they're happy. So I'm just like, I don't need to know what the answer is for them. I need to know what the answer is for me. It's, it's yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's hard to engage in any form of, even though you're not having a conversation with that person, you're mm. having a conversation in your head, you're thinking, well, would that person be happier doing that? Or is that, but is that how that person's drilled? I don't mean to use the word drilled as in it's been drilled into them, but is that what gets that person out of bed in the morning? Is that what makes them, you know, makes them feel a bit more fulfilled? We all feel fulfilled from from different things, and I, for me and for you, I can tell that that's that's not what we want. No, it's not what we want. But I'm not going to knock that person who does do that. 
because they might feel a tiny bit happier in themselves than your, your next person, for instance. I think that's the thing, isn't it? They're different, mate. I know it sounds like such a, a vast thing to say, but there are different things that get us going. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like I said, I'm not, I'm, you're not going to see me at a rave anytime soon. <laughs> but I don't begrudge you at all for it, and I'm glad you've got something that, that keeps you going. Uh, anyway, mate, I think it's a good time to sort of wrap it up. We've been speaking for a while, and sure. it's, it's been a pleasure, mate. It's always a pleasure to see you, but... Um, Pleasure to have you over for lunch and a, and a glass of my, my finest kombucha downstairs as delicious, well. Absolutely but um, we'll, we'll wrap it up for the day. And I, I love you, mate. And let's go, let's go have a coffee. Cheers, brother. Gosh, thank you.